1: Presented by T Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.
2: We talked about Matt Miller's column on a lot of the quarterbacks that will be available in the upcoming April 2024 draft. Matt is with us right now. He's an NFL draft person, uh, scout for. ESPN, uh, and there are plenty of those at ESPN, but Matt's done a great job for a while now. His mock draft came out about a week and a half ago. We'll talk about that as well, but you can follow Matt on Twitter, at NFL Draft Scout. Uh, I want to just start with this because right now, the conversation in D.C. after Sam Howell got benched on Sunday, Matt has accelerated with respect to quarterback in the draft. And by the way, he's going to start. I mean, they're going to start him against the Jets in probably the final three games. If they pick fourth, which is where they are right now, who's available at four quarterback-wise?
3: Hey, guys, thanks for having me on. I think at four, you're looking at Jaden Daniels, the Heisman Trophy winner from LSU. You're going to J.J. McCarthy from Michigan. Uh, We'll get to see both those guys. uh, I'm sorry, Jaden actually opted out. We'll get to see uh, J.J. on January 1st uh, against Alabama, which will be a good test for him. But, you know, unfortunately, at four, you are out of the Caleb Williams mix, and you are out of, most likely, out of the Drake-May conversation. Now, is there a world where right now the New England Patriots have the second overall pick? It's expected they're going to have a shakeup in their front office. So is there a world where... New England takes Jaden Daniels instead of Drake may that's very possible. It, it, it definitely could happen. And that would open the door for a team like Washington to be sitting there with Drake may. And as you said, um, you know, I, I think famously in the DC area folks were not happy with my assessment of Sam Howell headed into this year. Um, there's been highlights. There's been lowlights. And I think, as you mentioned, you, you know, you get benched, Jacoby Brissett comes in leads to touchdown drive. Terry McLaurin has his best game. I, I think it, it, certainly opened up some of those question marks to now you, you wonder what might've been, you know, how Jacoby been playing all season?
2: Remind me and remind some of our listeners, what was your assessment of Sam <laughs> Howe prior to? to the season? Uh,
3: do we have to? So uh, people, uh, which I love, uh, love people who, who read my work uh, found some tweets of mine from when Sam was coming out in the draft. And I said, you know, this is a Baker Mayfield type guy. My player comparison for him as a college quarterback was Colt McCoy, who was, You know, Colt was great at Texas. I think that's something maybe, you know, maybe I'm just old, and so I remember that. But some of the younger fans weren't very happy about that. But, you know, I thought Sam had the ability to be an average NFL starter or a really good backup. Um, He's tough. His field vision's there. When he has time to step into passes. he can generate good arm strength. He's not naturally, you know, it's not Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen and how he can generate power from every different platform. You know, he's really a, a base core thrower. And I think that's what we've seen play out this year, you know when he has time he he can do some really nice things, but it's the the inconsistency is is pretty maddening and it was that way in North Carolina over his two years as a starter as well,
2: yeah, I mean so let let's talk a little bit more about Sam Howe because we haven't done that enough around here this week um uh so Colt McCoy it's funny because we did kind of a best case worst case before the season, and I said. I think worst case he could be Colt McCoy. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. Solid, you know, upper and yeah. backup. And I and I and I said maybe you know best case is somebody like Andy Dalton, who you know for a few years there in Cincinnati was a middle of the pack starting quarterback. So what? what this these were your predictions. So where do you have him now? Like do, essentially, do you feel? Like, y- y- your your evaluation was spot on after watching him start 14 games this year?
3: Not spot on, but I think he was pretty good. I would say now he is – I still like the Baker comparison, you know, of like there are times where, like last weekend, Baker had a perfect QB rating in right. Green Bay. You know, there are times where Baker can look really good, but it's one of those quarterbacks. You're going to be as good as the scheme and the talent around you. You're not going to transcend that. You know, you're not you're not going to elevate that. And that's it's okay. That's more – Teams than not in the NFL have a guy like that. But right now, Washington doesn't have the the, the help, especially in the offensive line. And they don't have, you know, the... I like Eric Biename. it's his first year. So you haven't had time for that scheme to really come together yet. So you don't have those, you know, kind of foundational elements to prop up a quarterback who is in his first year as a starter and has some limitations. So, you know, I think... You know, when you were talking about, you know, somewhere between Colt McCoy and Andy Dalton, I'm like, that's Gardner Minshew to me. You know, and that right. might be who Sam is exactly. being. It's Gardner Minshew, Baker Mayfield, who can you know, those two are probably gonna be playing in the playoffs. So that's not that's not, you know, the insult that I think a lot of your listeners or folks on Twitter are gonna think that it is. You know, those are they're gonna make good money, they're gonna have long careers. But if you're drafting in the top five and you yes, there's a big unknown with that, but when you're drafting in the top five, you got to think, okay, we have a chance to get a premier prospect that can upgrade us at the most important position in sports.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, look, there's people we've been without one for so long around here that just the, um, the fact that he's got great arm strength and he's got mobility and there have been moments this year where it's been more encouraging than discouraging, but I, I think, you know, I think you're spot on and it sounds like, you know, the, that, that's kind of where you see him moving forward, which means that at number four overall, they've got to take quarterback seriously if that's where they end up at number four overall. So let's assume Williams and Drake May are off the board. What do you think of Jaden Daniels at four?
3: I, I love Jaden Daniels. And at four, I don't think that's too rich. I have Jaden as my number eight overall player And that's probably going to change. It's probably going to go up because I I now have time to get caught up on film. I have time to get caught up talking to coaches who've coached against Jaden, guys who've coached him specifically. Um, Man, he's he's so much fun to watch. Uh, He's an explosive runner. He had over 1,100 yards rushing this year, 10 touchdowns. He's the best deep thrower in college football, not just the draft class, in college football. Uh, He had, uh, like, his QBR was essentially 100 on throws over 20 yards. He had 22 touchdowns no interceptions on throws over 20 yards. And you can point to the fact that Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr. are good wide receivers, but turn on the film, and he is just layering the ball to those guys down the field. He's given them those opportunities. So I am uh, really a big fan of his, and also because I've watched him since Arizona State throwing to Brandon Ayuk till now, watching him develop and improve. And he's gotten better in the pocket. He's gotten smarter as a runner. He's added you know, 15, 20 pounds to his frame. Uh, And it hasn't affected his speed. So I think when you have the opportunity to to draft someone who has some elite traits, deep ball throwing, uh, speed in the open field, field vision, those are elite traits that he has. I think you jump all over that. And I I saw – I wish I could remember who because I loved it. They said this. It's a lot like Anthony Richardson last year in terms of you've got somebody that's got a couple elite traits, and and you believe in that. The difference is Jaden has started – uh, you know, 45 games in college, I believe, it, as opposed to like 13. Excuse me, 55 games in college. So you're getting an experienced guy who has those elite traits, and, and to me, that's super exciting.
2: So Denton and I have been in, 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 in your camp all year long. I thought he was the most exciting player to watch in college football this year. Um, uh, even when it looked like, you know, it might be somebody else to win the Heisman. We were saying he's the best player in college football this year. Imagine by the way, yeah. if LSU's defense had just been horrible instead of all time bad, I think they'd still be playing, um, <laughs> on January 1st with something to play for. um, the thing that, you know, the one knock against him, and I think it's fair, and I'm wondering if you think it's fair, the body type looks breakable. It's not thick like Lamar. Um, it's, he's, he's tall, uh, and his speed and his vision as an open field runner is amazing, but can he hold up physically as a dual-threat quarterback in the NFL?
3: I, think, I mean, he's going to have to put weight on, and I, I think that's the key. Like, you can say he's played in the SEC West for two years, and he's handled that just fine. So it's like that's, you know, as close as you can get to the NFL, right? He's playing at SEC West football, and he hasn't had an injury. So to me, that's encouraging. But I do think, yeah, I mean, he's six four, He's listed at 210. He's going to have to put some weight on. You know, we, we saw that even with C.J. Stroud. We saw definitely saw it with Bryce Young. These guys need to put some weight on. They also need to show they can keep that weight up. I think, you know, naturally that's going to happen as a guy gets a little bit older. But it is it is the biggest concern. You're absolutely right. And I think, you know, it's kind of like the Tennessee Titans are showing Will Levis clips of quarterbacks getting out of bounds and sliding. You're going to have to do some of that. And if that means he rushes for, you know, 800 yards instead of 1,100, that's okay. You're probably going to be okay with that because the threat of his speed is as important as, as what he actually does as a runner
2: yeah, such a good point. Um, we are talking to Matt Miller, an NFL draft analyst for uh, ESPN. One more about Daniels just because, you know, that as we sit here now and we know things change, um, that may be available for Washington at number four. What do we know about him? You know, this is the part that we as fans can't really, find out, the due diligence on the kind of guy he is, the work ethic, does he love, love football, et cetera. What have you heard with respect to Daniels on that front?
3: Yeah, it's uh, – and I, I'm fortunate enough to to work with people who've been around Jaden and and they know him on a personal level. And everything I've heard is that, you know, the dedication that he's put in since getting to LSU specifically has been fantastic, just You know, the work, and you can see it. So it's not just like, oh, there's an anecdote from someone who's biased. You can see it. The way that he's got better playing within the pocket, his processing time, his poise, that to me shows the work that he's put in to get better. Um, And even, I think, as a runner, you know, to to just be smarter about when to run, how to run. So I see all that. But everything I've heard from people at LSU firsthand is, you know, he is – he was beating Brian Kelly to the office most days. You know, he's dedicated to the game. I think it also helps that we are talking about someone. Like I said, he's he has started 55 games in college. He is a professional quarterback at this point. You know, he is a touch older at he just turned 23 uh, this past week. So he's a little bit older, a little bit more mature. Uh, and I think with that experience, you have someone that that now knows how to work, um, you know, as opposed to, you know, sometimes you draft guys that they have been in college for three years. They maybe start for a year. They don't know how to, you know, to, to load up the briefcase and go to work every day. And, and that's what, it, as we all know, it takes that in the NFL. And a lot of get time. guys have to learn that early in their NFL career from a veteran quarterback. I've heard Patrick Mahomes talk about that, how going to work with Alex Smith every day helped him so much, just learning how to be a professional. I think Jaden Daniels, you know, playing in such a pro-style system, uh, not not just, you know, offensive structure, but Brian Kelly runs a pro-style right. system. Uh, being under Brian, you know th- that definitely helps as well, just in terms of the mental preparation and, and work ethic that it takes.
2: All right, is Caleb Williams an absolute lock at number one overall? Yeah, I think so.
3: Yeah, and I've I, I've hedged on that. Be like, yeah, maybe you know. I, I,
2: it's what would so the ma- wh- why yeah, the maybe? <laughs> why I the think maybe? The only
3: maybe would be is if Chicago were to say, you know what, Justin shows us enough let's go, let's go one more year with Justin Fields and we'll draft Marvin Harrison Jr. Or we'll draft Olu Olufoshano. Caleb is my number one player, and, and like with a bullet. Um, but I will say Marvin Harrison is a, an elite, rare wide receiver prospect. Olu Fasciano is an elite, rare left tackle prospect. So that's the only maybe. It's not a knock on Caleb. It's just that Chicago might say, eh, let's grab one of these other guys. In which case, they should be calling New England and Washington to trade back. So in, in that situation even, Caleb still goes first overall.
2: And, I mean, you said Jaden could move up to number two. I kind of agree with you. If that happened, would it be more about Jaden or more about Drake May?
3: Both. I I think it's really going to come down to preference. The interesting thing is they're both very mobile. You know, Drake May is a good runner. You know, my comparison for him is Justin Herbert. You know, it's that type of player. Uh, But I do think it would come down to preference. You know, what, what specifically are you looking for? You know, I think with Jaden, it's you know that deep ball ability is so so special. Like if I'm Brian Dable and or Eric Bieniemy, you know, guys who've had success with mobile quarterbacks who throw deep in Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, I would look at Jaden Daniels and say like that that's the guy I want to run my scheme. I think with Drake May, it's more even though he is mobile, it's more of you know let's we're going to run a timing based offense. You know, we're going to we're going to play from within the pocket. We're going to play off of some RPO. But really, we want this guy executing from within the pocket, distributing the ball out to our fantastic skill players. So it's just it's just a different kind of philosophy uh, of what you want to build your team around.
2: Uh, Talking to Matt Miller from ESPN. Um, You know, before this season started, or really when last year's draft was over, people were talking about the quarterbacks in the 2024 draft. And, you know, I know some of them are going back to school, but. Where is this quarterback draft compared to some of the really good quarterback drafts? I mean, nothing will ever match eighty three, I don't think. Um but where is it right now based on who's projected to come out and you know where these guys are ranked after a season of football?
3: Yeah, it's a good class. I think it's comparable, and I, I wrote this uh, in an article that came out this week. I, I heard you mention uh, that it is comparable, I think to you know twenty twenty one we're going to see six quarterbacks probably go in the top 50 this year. We've talked about Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jane Daniels, JJ McCarthy, certainly in the mix there from Michigan, Bo Nix from Oregon, Michael Penix from Washington. What makes this class interesting is there is no, like, there's no middle ground. You know, the middle class in this quarterback group doesn't exist. So you've got those guys who are going to go top 50. You've got some guys who are going to go day three. There's really not that in between. So that's what I, I think affects the you know perception of this class six guys in the top 50. I had a mock draft, four quarterbacks in the top seven. That would be the fastest four quarterbacks have ever come off the board.
2: Four in the so top seven would teams
3: be? Are four in the top seven, yeah. So it's like, you know, crazy amount of talent at the top, which matches the needs of the teams. But then, you know, if you miss out on the top four, are you talking yourself into Bo Nix, you know, who had some early career struggles at Auburn before he goes to, to Oregon and figures it out? He's also started 60 games in college, which is the most of any player in this class. You talk yourself into Michael Penix, you know, who transferred from Indiana. Has had some some scary medicals, two ACL injuries, a shoulder injury. He has started 43 games in college. Um, do you, you know how early do you talk yourself into one of those guys? Is it late round one? Is it top of round two? Because after that, there's a drop off. You, you're you don't have a round three guy this year that you're like, you know, maybe we'll maybe we'll grab him round three and, and believe in him as a developmental player. That just that really doesn't exist this year.
2: By the way, you said uh, you think that Jaden Daniels throws the best deep ball in this class. I, I mean, I think he throws a phenomenal deep ball too, but more so than Penix.
3: I think so, and some of that to me is like, the, I mean, the analytics back it up. It's like that's my that was my opinion on film. Then you dive in and look at you know QBR completion percentage, uh, you know catchable throws. All those numbers actually favor Jaden Daniels as well. Not to take anything away... From Michael Penix, he is amazing. Watching Michael Penix throw to Roma Dunze is one of my favorite things to do, and I I can't wait to watch them uh, against Texas because uh, Malik Muhammad, number five for Texas, is a a true freshman corner who's going to be a first-round pick someday. That matchup's going to be amazing. Um, Penix would would certainly be 1B. I don't even want to call it number two because he's great at it. Uh, He would be 1B for me.
2: Yeah, it's such a pretty ball that he throws when he unloads it downfield. He's got, by the way, in the same way that Daniels does, he's got great receivers as well. NFL receivers. So, uh, one more on the quarterbacks: Why McCarthy before Knicks and Penix Jr.?
3: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, and I because I asked someone that recently as well. You know, I, that that's my opinion, but I was you know kind of looking for like hey, why do other people feel this way, and I had an NFL, a former NFL general manager say. A lot of times you want the guy who hasn't failed yet. It doesn't mean he won't, but he hasn't failed yet. And I think with McCarthy, that is one thing that people see is he hasn't been put in a lot of situations to succeed or fail. So there are unanswered questions about him right now. Whereas with Penix, there's the injury stuff. With Nix, there's the early career in, uh, struggles at Auburn. With McCarthy, there aren't any struggles. There might not be incredible highs like we're seeing with those two players in the pac 12 but there aren't the lows, and I, I think that's really helping his case right now. When Michigan lets him throw the ball, he does it efficiently. He has good arm strength. He's mobile. He's creative. Uh, there's a throw against Ohio State where you know he he throws it at the back of a linebacker's head, and he said, well, I saw in film he doesn't get his head around, so I just threw it there knowing he wasn't going to find the ball. That's the type of impressive stuff that he does against Alabama on January 1st. I think we're going to find out a lot about J.J. McCarthy. Just like we found out a lot about C.J. Stroud last year against Georgia. You know, yeah. C.J. did things against Georgia he had not done. And do you remember yes. a year ago it was, ah, C.J. Stroud can't run. Well, they play Georgia and he runs all over the place. And, and you know, that question and that narrative completely disappeared. So I'm hopeful that, that Jim Harbaugh takes the, the reins off of J.J. McCarthy enough in that that you know semifinal game that we get a chance to see just who J.J. McCarthy can be.
2: He ran him into field goal range uh, to get to the championship game. Um, yep. uh, one last one, actually, on quarterback. Sorry. Uh, where would Shadur Sanders had, had had gone had he come out?
3: Yeah, that's a great one. I had Shadur as QB3 in, like, early October. And then you started to see – I think defensive coordinators caught up to what they were doing a little bit. and You realize their offensive line is probably the worst in the country – uh, and, you know, it's like, so he was holding the ball back there waiting for things to happen, but he is surgical in terms of accuracy. I think his anticipation is really good. His field vision is good. So he would be QB4 for me, it, all things that we know right now, um, especially had it, you know, by, by mid-October, everyone was saying, hey, he's going back to school. Don't even worry about studying him. He's going back to school. But I think he would, he would comfortably be QB4 for me. And You know, next year, it's Shador, Carson Beck at Georgia, Quinn Ewers at Texas, Drew Aylar at Penn State. Right now, and we know how much things will change, but right now, you know, it looks like to be another really strong group at the top for next year's quarterback class.
2: That Penn State quarterback really struggled, though. I know he's a freshman, but he really struggled.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's a – I'm not a – I love Penn State. Uh, That's like a – that's a thing there. (laughs) They always get these guys, and then they – you know, do you remember the Christian Hackenberg situation, yeah. you know, great freshman, five-star prospect, and he got worse every year. So I think with Ayler, that's the, you know, it's it's that situation of there's been promise, but now the development needs to happen. And I would say to summer with Quinn Ewers, got to stay healthy, got to be more consistent. Obviously, the talent's there, but but we need to see the development.
2: You know, by the way, in mentioning Christian Hackenberg, it was one of the examples I used during the offseason when everybody was looking at Sam Howell and saying, well, he was supposed to be, you know, a first-round pick, and he went in the fifth round, and, you know, that that just, you know, it just never happens. It happens all the time. Now, Hackenberg never dropped to the fifth round, but if you recall, he was the projected number one, number one overall you know at one point you know before yeah. that final year and then ended up uh, going to the second round And, and there you know, the, the Notre Dame quarterback whose uh, uh name escapes me right now um was in that Same mode uh, yeah. as well
3: or uh, uh, yeah yeah i know what so, you're talking about now i can't think of it yeah
2: yeah um <laughs> anyway uh the one that Kuyper was absolutely in love with uh and wasn't in the league for very jimmy long Clawson. Uh, jimmy Clawson, jimmy uh, Clawson. thank yeah. you thank you very much um <laughs> marvin harrison junior so it's a it's a draft loaded with wide receivers. He's the number one overall. Where is he in terms of prospects all time, wide receiver wise?
3: Oh, he's way up there. Um, maybe at the top. Um, you know, definitely in the the mix with guys like AJ Green, Olio Jones, Calvin Johnson, Jamar Chase. Um, and I will say he's in that group, despite being very different than those guys, because he is six foot four five pounds. He has the fastest hands, and uh, like picture Tyreek Hill. How Tyreek in his route, and just all of a sudden he flashes his hands, and it's like, oh my God, where the where the ball even come from? How do you get his hands up that fast? Marvin Harrison has some of the same ability, you know, to just so fast with his hands, so savvy uh, to be six foot four and to be able to collect some of the you know gopher smokers that Kyle McCord was throwing him this year. That that flexibility and body control is really really special. So he's He's up there, you know. Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, those guys were just physically unicorns. Uh, but I think Harrison Jr. his savviness at the position is, is very
2: special. Uh, who give me the next two receivers after that? Is it Neighbors?
3: It, Adunze and Neighbors, and I would say Keon Coleman from Florida State, uh, yeah. who just announced today he's opting out of the bowl game. There's four receivers that could go in the top ten this year. It is a great year for for teams who need wide receivers and. All different. You know, Dunze is the six three physical aggressive, like he plays mad. And I I love that. You know, he he, he has some elements of Debo Samuel and AJ Brown and the, the physicality that he plays with. Malik neighbors is the best yak player in the class. I mean, he averages eighteen yards a catch, he had fourteen touchdowns. It's his start stop ability is special. I think you could say Garrett Wilson, Stefan Diggs, like he could be that type of player.
2: All right, uh, we're talking to Matt Miller, draft analyst for, for ESPN. You've been generous with your time. A couple more real quickly. Um, so, you know, for a while, uh, many in this fan base said, no, Sam's the guy. And maybe he still will be. Um, and so you got to build around him. They've had major issues with their offensive line uh, here in recent years. So do you like Fashano more than Alt as a left tackle?
3: I do, but it's close. And I, I think, you know, again, I, I'll mention there are different players. Fashanu is, you know, more agile, more athletic. He's 20 years old, didn't even play football until high school. So there's some like developmental ability there, but limited experience coming into this year. With all, you've got a guy whose dad is in the Chiefs Hall of Fame, uh, also very young. He, he just turned 21. He's patient, uh, he's poised. He's six foot eight, 330 pounds compared to six foot six, 320. So the length is different. He's confident. Uh, Alt is a better, uh, I think, more powerful in the run game, albeit a little stiff. Uh, but gosh, they're both really good. I have them ranked three and four overall. Um, and so it's if, if you know if the commanders say, hey, we're running back with Sam, or we're gonna you know bring in a, a free agent quarterback, whoever that might be, or trade for adjusted field. If you end up in that situation and say we're gonna get Fashanu or Alt, you're in a really really good spot at left tackle.
2: I've read some people compare Fashano to Trent Williams. Is that a reach, athleticism-wise?
3: It, it is. It's a reach to me because Trent is a first ballot Hall of Famer, and that always scares me to do. I But I think you could – my comp for him was Teron Armstead. So I think athletically that's similar. Trent is the craziest athlete that I've, I've ever seen at left tackle to be as big as he is and as athletic as he is. It's just crazy. I remember I – mean, I've been doing this long enough. I watched him at Oklahoma. And to be that big and that agile is just bizarre. And so, Deshaun, who's really athletic, I would hesitate to put him in, like, the Trent Williams or early Tyron Smith. Like, those two dudes are just by
2: themselves. But look, Washington just made out like bandits. They got a third and a fifth for trading Trent Williams to the 49ers. Uh, just brilliant. Um right? This organization <laughs> uh, a few years ago. Um Brock Bowers, uh, just one of my favorite players to watch over the last couple of years. How good of a tight end prospect is he and how high will he go?
3: Yeah, he's a very, very good tight end prospect. He's a little undersized, 6'4, 240, about the same size as George Kittle. My thing about Brock Bowers is he will not we think of elite tight end prospects these days, it's like Kyle Pitt, you know, guys who are just like, you know, big wide receivers. That is not Brock Bowers. He will run over you. He's aggressive. He's physical. Uh, he has caught the ball, ran the ball as a tailback. He's played H-back. So he should be on talent, a top five or six pick. But because of the tight end position, positional value in this class, especially, we talked about four quarterbacks, talked about four wide receivers, two offensive tackles. That's going to push him down. I-, I think he'll be a top 15 pick. And, you know, we see what Sam Laporta is doing in Detroit. Yeah. Bowers is a better player than that, and I loved Sam Laporta last year. So, But that's, I think, the type of impact he can have, you know, whether it's, you want to say George Kittle, Sam Laporta, T.J. Hawkinson, he can be that type of tight end.
2: Yeah, like to me, in watching him, there's a lot of Kittle because they're just impossible to get to the ground after they make the catch. In fact, the 49ers have like four players that are impossible to get to the ground after they make the catch. Yeah. Um Jared Verse as a pass rusher. I saw that he opted out of the, you know, of the Florida State, Georgia uh bowl game. Uh is he the best pass rusher in the draft or not?
3: Not for me, Dallas Turner at Alabama. Oh, is, Turner is, verse yeah. Is right. There. Yeah. And let see, we'll see if Turner declares. Nick Saban is the best in house recruiter that football has ever seen. So you know, we got Will Anderson to go back for another year. So who knows? But um I, I think that Verse is up there. Different type of player, you know, versus uh, 265, 270 pounds, so it's it's a little bit different. Um, fantastic power, uh, monster hands, upper body strength, uh, closing speeds good, and you know started off slowly this year, but came on so strong down the stretch. Uh, I think that the key here is a little bit older. He's 23 years old. Um, I will never ever understand how Jared Verse redshirted for a season at Albany. Like how. I understand guys slip through the cracks and you end up at Albany, but how the hell do you redshirt at Albany when you play like Jared Burst? Right. Um, but, like know, he, he wasn't he ready had, to play there. Fantastic. Right. Yeah. You know, if you run a 4 3 defense, Jared Burst is your guy in this class because he's he has the size, whereas, you know, Dallas Turner's 245 pounds. So I, I think that will be the key. All
2: right. Last one. Um, I'm not going to ask you what you think they'll do because we don't even know who will be making the decisions here. It'll be a whole new regime here in a few weeks. But what should Washington do if they've got the fourth overall pick in the draft?
3: I, I think you draft Jaden Daniels in the first round and and look to build up that offensive line and, you know, defensive line. You, you try to do that in subsequent rounds. You're going to have two picks early in round two. So can you walk out with Jaden Daniels? Can you walk out with an offensive tackle like – uh you know, Kingsley Suamatu or Patrick Paul, uh, who project his left tackles. And then, you know, can you get an edge rusher like a, you know, a JT Tuamalu, Chop Robinson? Can you get another edge rusher, you know, maybe at pick 40-41 and say, okay, we've got a quarterback, we got a left tackle, we got a pass rusher. Those are the three most important positions in football. And those are realistic. You know, that's not me saying you're going to get three guys who will never be on the board there. But if you're a 4 36, 41 those are are definitely names that are possibilities.
2: I would be as excited as I've been in a long time if Jaden Daniels was the selection for this organization. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Really good job. You're always a good read, too. I appreciate it.
3: Yes, thank you very much. Merry Christmas and happy holidays.
2: Yeah, Merry Christmas. uh, Happy holidays to you, too. Matt Miller at NFL Draft Scout. Uh, He loves Jaden Daniels like we do. And don't look back. If you've got number four overall and he's sitting there, I have a feeling, Denton, I just a feeling he's going to end up being the second guy taken in this draft after Caleb Williams. I'm getting that too,
4: but you never there's something about those those ACC quarterbacks with intangibles that draft guys love across the NFL.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I guess it'll matter who's making the decisions for say the Patriots or the Cardinals at number two. Um, But anyway, uh, that would be that. just turn on the tape as they say if you didn't see him play uh it was an absolute show all year long all right uh smell test pick for tonight's game uh when we come back kevin sheehan show the team 980 and the team 980.com
0: call from mom answer it call silenced
1: instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game that's why they make ordering from your couch easy
2: All right, so I do have a smell test pick for tonight, early smell test pick. It's the Saints plus the four-and-a-half, Denton. Um, Publics lined up on the Rams, and I think there will be some sharp money on New Orleans coming in from what I've been told. Um, So uh, tonight, early, I hate these Thursday night games, but the Saints plus the four-and-a-half at SoFi against the Rams, they're very good defensively, the Saints are. Uh, they've won two games in a row. The problem with it is that the wins came against Carolina and the Giants. While the Rams have won uh, four out of their last five, wins over Seattle and Cleveland included in that, and a near win in Baltimore. They lost to the Ravens on that punt return in overtime. The public thinks the line's a bit short, um, and so they're playing – The Rams laying the number. I'll take the Saints plus the 4.5 in an early smell test selection. As mentioned, I'm off tomorrow, but I will have a smell test out. Denton will put it out uh, on the Team 980 Twitter account. It'll be on the Team 980 site, and I'll tweet it out as well uh, tomorrow from Kevin Sheehan, at Kevin Sheehan DC, on X uh, tomorrow. Um, Saints plus the points. I'll have them tonight. gives me something to watch. So, I want to change the subject completely. It's football related, but it's college football related and it's Maryland college football related. Um for you Turp fans who always say she and your Turp, you're an alum, you don't talk enough about Maryland football or Maryland basketball in this show and I don't talk about it as much as I did at certain points in the past. Um it's really the truth is it's it's a it deeply down the list Topic, you know, after the football team and just the NFL in general um, in towns like ours. But I wanted to talk about Talia Tungavailoa, Tua's younger brother. Leah, as we Maryland fans uh, know him as, as his coaches and teammates referred to him as well. For those of you who don't know, Leah Tungavailoa has been at Maryland now four seasons. Um, he is done at Maryland. He has opted out of Maryland's bowl game on December 30th against Auburn in the Music City Bowl in Nashville. That would be a fun bowl to go to. Nashville is such a great uh, town. And they're playing, by the way, an SEC opponent for just the um, second time this century in a bowl game. They played Tennessee, Denton, in the 2002 Peach Bowl, a game that I attended actually. Went to that Peach Bowl game. My sister and brother-in-law were living in Atlanta at the time. Went down there, and the Terps absolutely blew out. Tennessee with Scott McBrien at the helm. But Leah's career at Maryland is all time. First of all, he's the all time Big Ten passing leader. The all time Big Ten passing yardage leader is a Maryland quarterback. He threw for 11,256 yards during his career at Maryland, which, by the way, included a COVID freshman or you know first year here at Maryland. He had been at Bama with his brother, with Loxley. Loxley got him to come to Maryland after he got the job. That COVID year, uh, he only played four games because basically most of the schedule was canceled, and he only played four games. If he had played more than that, he'd have a lot more yards um, but 11,256 career passing yards for Leah Tungavailoa. Uh, that is the all time Big Ten mark. It's obviously the all time Maryland mark. He also holds Maryland marks for touchdowns um, and uh, for, for, for touchdowns with 76. By the way, number two on that list at Maryland is Scott Mil- Milanovic, who threw for 249. Right. His yardage record at Maryland is nearly 4,000 yards more than Milanovic. Uh, he also holds the record for the greatest completion percentage in Maryland history and the best passer efficiency rating in Maryland football history. Now, for those of you that don't follow Maryland football or college football, Maryland actually has a history of having had some pretty good quarterbacks You know, during the 80s with Bobby Ross at the helm, Boomer Esiason, Frank Reich, Stan Gelbaugh. um, These were quarterbacks. Neil O'Donnell eventually uh, came uh, after the Ross years. So did Scott Milanovic. All became NFL quarterbacks. And then with Ralph Friedgen, when he arrived in 2001... They had a great first year with Sean Hill, uh, who was a quarterback, a JUCO transfer, who led Maryland to an ACC regular season championship in 2001. And then they had Scott McBrien for two years. McBrien had a hell of a career here. and was an outstanding college quarterback. They also had guys like Chris Turner, who who was a very good quarterback, college quarterback for the Terps for two and a half seasons. Um, Sam Hollenbach was actually a decent quarterback under Ralph. Uh, But Maryland's had some quarterbacks over the years and quarterbacks who have ended up in the NFL. Um, So the conversation among Maryland uh, sports fans when Leah opted out and we realized from the bowl game he had played his last game is, is Leah the greatest quarterback in Maryland football history? Statistically, it's not even close. You know, nearly 4,000 more yards than number two. Um, you know, twenty-seven more touchdowns than number two, a much higher passer efficiency rating than who uh, than the number two guy, um, and the all-time highest completion percentage uh, as well. Um, but this is where we're going to try something out here uh, because I'm going to see if we can take calls on a Maryland football subject, not about this year's team, not about the upcoming bowl game. But for you Maryland fans, where does Leah rank among the school's all-time greatest quarterbacks? For me, he's nowhere near the best quarterback that's ever played at Maryland. Statistics aside, records aside, Boomer Esiason's the greatest quarterback in Maryland history, period. And as Coach Thompson used to say, you count five steps— before you get to who's number two. Maybe it's not five steps, but it's two or three steps. Boomer's the greatest quarterback in Terp history. He would not have become that had Bobby Ross not replaced Jerry Claiborne because he was recruited by Jerry Claiborne uh, in the very, you know, uh, 1980, uh, end of the 70s, 1980. But when Bobby Ross arrived in 1982, Boomer's two seasons in 82 and 83 were sensational. And Maryland was – a powerhouse those two years. Maryland was a top twenty team in '82, uh, and they were top fifteen for much of the season. Borderline top ten in Boomer's senior year in 1983, including, you know, they had an incredible matchup. Think about this, uh, Denton, 1983, College Park, overflow crowd at Bird Stadium. I mean, fifty thousand plus for number thirteen Maryland against number three. North Carolina. That was the matchup. The ACC had Clemson, Maryland, and Carolina that year all ranked in the top 15 in the country. North Carolina was number three that year. The Terps won that game. It was Boomer's signature game, Halloween weekend, 1983. Boomer's the greatest quarterback in Maryland history, period. Now his numbers in a far different era. Um, He's fourth on the yardage list uh, all time. He's third on the touchdown list all time. Um, and you just didn't have high completion percentages back then, so it's not—it's pointless looking at it. But Boomer would be my number one all-time Maryland quarterback, and I would bet most Terp fans would agree with me on that. So then, to me, the debate is who's number two? Is it Leah? Not for me. Scott McBrien's the second-best quarterback in Maryland history, and there are plenty to choose from. Leah could be in the conversation. Uh, Frank Reich, by the way, is not in the conversation. Frank Reich didn't start enough games for Maryland. Frank Reich had the all-time greatest college comeback in college football history when he led Maryland in 1984 from 31 down at halftime to a 42-40 win over Bernie Kosar and Miami in the Orange Bowl uh, in the regular season. That was uh, a record that stood for many, many years as the greatest comeback in college football history. And then Frank Reich in, in his NFL career is known for one game as well quarterbacking the Buffalo Bills off the bench for Jim Kelly, down 35-3 at halftime to the Houston Oilers in a playoff game to bring him back to a 41-38 win. The two greatest comebacks at the time in both of those, um, uh, in both college and pro football. Frank Reich didn't start enough games. Stan Gelbaugh took over as the starter. That's why he was coming in off the bench. Now, he got hurt that year. In the conversation for number two, Scott McBrien, who would be my number two. Scott Milanovic, um, uh, Neil O'Donnell would probably be in the conversation. To me, a guy like Chris Turner is an underrated quarterback of all time for Maryland. If you want to go back to the 70s and you want to look at Mark Mangus, Uh, or Bob Avellini for some of you of a certain age, Um, but I don't think they really are in the discussion for number two. I understand that Jack Scarbath in 1950-whatever, somebody sent me a note on this after I talked about this on on my podcast, Denton, he was the runner-up for the Heisman Trophy. I'd like to stick with the forward pass era, and they threw passes in 1952. I understand that. Um, Who's the greatest quarterback in Maryland football history. They've had some really good quarterbacks over time. Do you think it's Leah, or do you agree with me it's Boomer? And if you agree with me it's Boomer, who's number two? Scott McBrien's my number two. Scott McBrien is fourth all-time – I'm sorry, uh, sixth all-time in yards. Uh, Touchdowns, he's fourth. Uh, Efficiency uh, rating, he is – Um, second all-time in Maryland history. And the fact is, Scott McBride played in some massive games. See, the problem with Leah is he doesn't have a remarkable game, a remarkable win, or even a remarkable season to point to. In 2002 and 2003, Maryland won 10 and 11 games respectively. In those seasons, Scott McBrien beat some big teams, including Tennessee in the Peach Bowl after 2002 and in 2003, annihilating West Virginia in the Gator Bowl. I think Scott McBrien was a phenomenal dual threat. Now, if you want to say he's not the second greatest passer, uh, you know, somebody like Milanovic or maybe Leah or somebody else is, that's fine. But as a dual threat, to me, the second best quarterback of all time. So we're going to try something here. 301-230-0980, 301-230-0980. For you Turp fans, Leah will go down as the record holder of all record holders. Yards, touchdowns, completion percentage, passer efficiency. He is done. His career's over. He's opted out of the bowl game. Is he the greatest quarterback in Maryland history? If not, who is? For me, it's not even close. It's Boomer Esiason. Um, and if you've got Boomer 2, who's number 2? Because I don't even think Lee is number 2. 301 It's the Kevin Sheehan Show on the Team 980 and the Team980.com.
4: Big NFL news, especially if you are playing in your fantasy football championship this weekend. Bengals head coach Zach Taylor announced that wide receiver Jamar Chase is out Sunday against the Steelers, dealing with a shoulder injury, so he will not be in action for cincinnati in the nhl caps on the road today they take on the columbus blue Jackets. you can hear that on our sister station 1067 the fan wizards in action as well part of their road trip there in portland you can hear that right here 10 p.m tip off on the team 980 and that's what's trending
5: post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today
1: t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning right now families and small businesses can save up to 20 percent versus at&t and verizon when they switch visit your local t-mobile store today
2: Leah Tungavailoa, done at Maryland, opted out of the bowl game this week. By the way, I don't have any problem with him opting out of the bowl game. I really don't. I don't think Leah will get drafted um, in the NFL draft. Uh, But, you know, he might be able to play football somewhere, XFL, that kind of thing, maybe make a practice squad in the NFL. I think his size as much as anything else. Um, But he was one prolific Uh, stat accumulator over his four seasons at Maryland, the all-time Big Ten passing leader, uh, the all-time touchdown leader at Maryland, passer efficiency rating uh, guy at Maryland, completion percentage guy at Maryland. But for me, as much as I appreciated Leah's play and the fact that they have become a more competitive team, and I think you have to mention, you know, he had to go up against the Big Ten East Um, Which isn't what Boomer or Scott McBrien, who would be my number one and number two quarterbacks in Maryland history, um, had to face. Uh, There were some good teams, don't get me wrong, in the ACC. They had to face Florida State. Uh, Scott McBrien did. Boomer didn't. Um, But... uh, Yeah, he was in the Big Ten East. That makes a big difference. All right, Uh, who's the greatest quarterback in Maryland football history? Is it Leah? If not, who is it? And if you you agree with me, Boomer, tell me who your number two is. Let's start with Jim in Silver Spring. Jim, go ahead.
0: um, I'm older than you. I'm not a million, so I didn't see Jack Scarbath. (laughs) But um, I totally agree with you. And I had season tickets when I was in high school, college, law school, and I'm now older. I've gone I'm two of the four years to a play at that season ticket. So I put a lot of eyes on him. I definitely go Boomer number one. I think I wouldn't have thought Brian number two, but the more you mentioned it, I'd go with him. One one guy you didn't mention who I think um, deserves some, some acknowledgement in the early 60s, they had a guy named Dick Shiner who was very good when Maryland was very bad. He played in the NFL about 10 years, mostly as a backup. Right. Um, but Maryland was bad then. Another guy, and interestingly enough, he, he recently passed, but Mark Mangus was a very good quarterback. Mark
2: Mangis, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he um, was on the great, cover um, of Sports Illustrated the year they was, went undefeated.
0: Yep. He had, he was a great quarterback. Um, of course, he was kind of an icon coming out of Cumberland, Fort Hill. Um, and those he was the best quarterback of that Claiborne era, which was as exciting, really, in many ways as the Ross era. The interesting thing about him is, he didn't always play because they had kind of a Sonny versus Billy kind of thing. Larry Dick, I mean, Larry Dick. Yeah. yeah, you got it. Um, and I kind of mixed up like the, when I think about like Reich Gellball, you know Zolak, all those guys. You know they were all good, not, and O'Donnell but I don't. You're, I, I, your point about Reich is correct. He had some great moments, but didn't have enough starts. Um, the other thing I want to say is, is you know, uh, and I don't want to be critical about too I'm right and I agree with you. He's not going to get. I can't yeah. see him getting drafted. Is if you really went to the games, watched the games, man, he left a ton of points on the field. <laughs> he was not accurate on the deep ball, even on a lot of things like twenty and thirty yard outs. He's he's, he's skipping stones. Yeah, um, p- put up massive numbers, but uh, and, and, and 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 sadly, I don't want to be critical again because he he was really shot injected a lot of good into the program. But man, in those biggest games, if you're, it wasn't good always. Those last few possessions when you really needed to be good.
2: Right. Thanks for the call. Sorry. Appreciate it. And by the way, I, I I mentioned Mark Mangus. Mark Mangus was you know sort of alternated back and forth with uh, the guy's name was Larry Dick. He was the uh, the uh, backup quarterback. Mangus though was a runner. Um, Jerry Claiborne's teams didn't throw the football that much. They were they were tailback you during those years with. Uh, guys like Louis Carter and Steve Atkins and Charlie Wysocki, Um, you know, they ran the ball sixty, fifty times a game and threw it six times a game. Uh, let's go to Ronnie in Mitchellville. Ronnie, go ahead.
0: A uh, piece of love, Kevin.
2: Yeah, to you, to you, to you too, Ronnie.
0: Uh, Boomer, the first left-hander, number one. The second left-hander,
2: number two, McBride, and I would argue. If McBride didn't go to junior college, I would say he might have had a better career than Boomer. Well, well, McBride went to West Virginia first.
0: Oh, I knew it was somewhere. I thought it
2: was a junior. No, he, he went to Rockville, West Virginia, then, then, then transferred to Maryland. And then, by the way, over his two years as a starter, annihilated West Virginia three times. Twice in the regular season and once in the Gator Bowl. Um, w- wasn't yeah. he from Rockville? Yeah, he went to DeMatha. Yeah, Scott's still in the area. Scott's oh, okay. a great guy. I I, I love watching him. Um, you know, Boomer was there when I was there. I remember he had a red vehicle with Terps QB yeah. on the tag. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I agree with you one and two. Yeah, they're the best. Thanks, Ronnie. Appreciate it, Chuck. Chuck, right, Chuck, go ahead. <clears throat>
0: yeah, guy
3: mentioned. Uh, I was going to mention uh, Dick Shiner. I think I think later on he played. I know he played for the Redskins. I think he played – he was back up to Jersey, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Okay.
2: That's well uh, before my time, but but I I know the name.
3: Yeah. He was a pretty good – I think his number was 14, if I remember.
2: Okay. (laughs) But, um,
3: uh, yeah, I agree. I think Boomer overall, he was – I think he's number one. But I've seen seen a lot of Maryland quarterbacks, and I think he's number one. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Chuck. Appreciate it. Uh, We're up against a hard out. Boy, we had several other people on hold. I'm sorry we didn't get to you because I would have loved to have continued this conversation. Uh, Anyway, I'm off tomorrow. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everybody. Uh, I will have that smell test out tomorrow and um, enjoy the holiday weekend. Denton and I will be back on Wednesday. Doc's in tomorrow, though, for me, so listen to that.